with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Uh, We just started uh, going through this book last week, and as we've said, uh, Colossians was written to a group of fairly new Christian believers living in a city that had experienced economic decline, and they were surrounded by many competing and sometimes confusing spiritual influences And Paul wrote to encourage them uh, to keep calm and carry on in Christ, uh, the title of our sermon series. So let's um, read verses 9 to 14 as we uh, see Paul's prayer for the Colossians. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. Paul writes this, And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So last week we saw Paul began by thanking God for what God had already done in these believers' lives, and we looked at how uh, it's important to begin by thanking God for what he's done in the past in our lives. But today we see Paul's prayer looking toward the future. Paul's prayer that these new believers would grow up in their faith in Christ. Now in Paul's time, it was customary to begin letters with a brief prayer or wish. Usually it was a wish for the recipient's good health. Uh, But Paul's prayer here isn't just a polite custom. Uh, Paul, verse 9 says, From the day we heard... Uh, about you. We haven't stopped praying for you. So Paul may have prayed for weeks or months or even years for these people who he had never met in person, but he had only heard about them. And so Paul's prayer here is a thoughtful and heartfelt plea for the Colossian Christian spiritual health and growth. Now, if you're a new believer in Christ, if you're just sort of beginning on that journey of walking with Jesus, this is a great prayer uh, for you to pray uh, that you would grow in your life in Christ in the ways Paul describes here. If you've been a believer in Christ for a long time now, this prayer is a good uh, sort of diagnostic tool. Uh, So as we walk through this prayer, I want you to think about where were you five or ten years ago in your relationship with Christ, if you've been following Christ for a long time, and sort of think about, have, uh, have I been growing in the ways Paul lays out in this prayer. And you might be encouraged that you can look back on some ways that you've grown, or you might be stimulated or challenged to address an area uh, that you've neglected, where you've neglected, or where you've sort of uh, gone backwards. Uh, Now, if you're in a leadership role, Paul was uh, obviously had a unique role as an apostle, but if you're in a role of Christian leadership like Paul was, maybe you're a parent with children at home, or maybe you have a a leadership role in the church, uh, let Paul's prayer here become your prayer for everyone who is under your care. 
Uh, you know, sometimes we don't know what to pray for each other, and this is a good prayer to pray for those around us, uh, for those whom we love and care for, that they would be growing in Christ. And finally, if you're not a Christian, if you're just uh, exploring Christianity or just sort of listening in and sort of not quite sure where you stand, this is a glimpse of the path that God desires for you. Because when you come to faith in Jesus, it's not the end of the journey, it's the beginning of a journey. And so it's the beginning of a lifelong walk with Jesus. So I think this prayer has something for each one of us, whether you're a new believer, whether you're an old-time believer, whether you're a Christian leader, or whether you're not yet a Christian. Uh, let's look at this prayer. Paul prays for four things for the Colossians, and they, uh, this is Paul's prayer for the Colossians and God's desire for us, that we grow in four ways. Number one, verse nine, uh, a fuller knowledge. Number two, in verse 10, a worthy walk. Number three, verse 11, empowered endurance. And number four, verses 12 to 14, joyful gratitude. So a fuller knowledge, a worthy walk, empowered endurance, and joyful gratitude. We'll look at those four areas in turn about how we can be growing up in Christ. So first, in verse 9, Paul prayed that the Colossian Christians would have a fuller knowledge of God. Now, Paul was praying for people who had already, uh, in ver as verse 6 and 7 tell us, heard and understood the grace of God in truth, just as they had learned it from Epaphras. Epaphras was the guy who first preached the gospel in Colossae. Uh, but now Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, now, let me... Um, make a brief comment. You, uh, Paul uses three words here that basically mean the same thing, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And in verse 11, he does the same thing, strength, glorious, uh, uh, let's see, uh, strength, power, and might. Uh, now, when Paul does this in Colossians, he's not so much emphasizing finer distinctions between these words. He's piling on synonyms as a way of driving home his point in a heightened way. And Paul does this quite often in Colossians, also in Ephesians, partly because this way of speaking resonated with people in that part of the world. Uh, these people liked colorful, evocative, uh, even exaggerated language. So notice how often Paul uses the word all here. Uh, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 9, or uh, fully pleasing to him, that's the same word in verse 10, in every good work, uh, in also verse 10, in uh, all power, verse 11, all endurance. Uh, so Paul's painting a grand picture with bold strokes, uh, with, all, with words like all, and then knowledge, power, might, strength. Uh, now, Paul doesn't, interestingly, if you compare Paul's other letters, he doesn't always write in this exact same style. So if you read the letter to the Romans, it reads much more like a lawyer laying out an argument in court, step by step, leading you to the verdict. And uh, some scholars have noticed these differences of style, and some people have said, maybe Paul Wrote, wrote, uh, Paul wrote Romans, but maybe he didn't write this book of Colossians. Maybe somebody just wrote it in his name later on. But that's actually a very poor argument because it assumes that Paul would only write in the same style to everyone everywhere. Now, here's the thing. Many people in Rome didn't like the style that was popular in Colossae. Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. It was just a different culture, and people liked sort of uh, heightened rhetoric, 
and piling on synonyms and, and lots of all and every and, and, and sort of emotional language. So the people in Rome thought, they're too emotional. They're too over the top. They wanted the arguments laid out step by step, leading you to a verdict. But the people in Colossae thought that the people in Rome uh, liked speeches that were dry and boring. Right? People in Colossae were like, we want some flavor. And so it's interesting, if you compare Paul's letters, uh, Paul doesn't always write in exactly the same style. He doesn't attach himself only to one sort of cultural style of speaking, whether it was sort of a more exaggerated, heightened, emotional style of speaking, or whether it was more a lawyerly, step-by-step philosophical way of speaking. Paul, Paul spoke to people in the way they could understand. He was a great cross-cultural communicator. And it's a good example uh, that we don't just get attached to one style or one way of doing things, but we seek to communicate the message in a way that people can understand. Um, and that's exactly what Paul did. So that's just a bit of a side note. Uh, but getting back to what Paul was praying for, Paul prayed the Colossian Christians would have a fuller knowledge of God's will and grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's God's desire for us. Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Those three words appear in that same verse. So think about it this way. When a baby is born into a family, that baby is fully part of that family. Right? The baby doesn't have to prove him or himself or herself. There's nothing else that a baby has to do to achieve her status in that family. And in the same way, when we're born again, the Bible talks about coming to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, as a spiritual rebirth. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're fully part of God's family. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to achieve something in order to have that status as being children of God uh, brought into his family through Jesus Christ. However, a newborn baby has a very limited understanding of her parents and their purposes, right? You change the baby's diaper, what does the baby do? Kick and scream, at least sometimes. Uh, you try to put the baby down to sleep, cry, cry, cry. And sometimes as a parent you think, ah, can, can you just be at peace? Uh, why? because the baby can't fathom what her parents are up to. You know, much of raising children involves setting patterns and habits that children don't yet understand or appreciate. And then over time you can explain why those habits and patterns make sense in the world that God has made so that hopefully one day they would grow up and say, okay, I see what you were up to, right? And if you think about that analogy, that's God's purpose with us as his children. God doesn't want us to live in ignorance and confusion, perpetually kicking and screaming. This is going to be a great object lesson. <laughs> we love babies, um, right? We, God doesn't want us to be perpetually kicking and screaming in response to his fatherly training. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? And when Paul talks about God's will here, uh, Paul's not talking primarily about uh, sort of wisdom in our day-to-day -day decisions, but he's more talking about the big picture of God's will that we see in the big story of the Bible, right? What's God's purpose? 
Well, ever since he made us and made the world, his purpose has been to fill the world with his glory and to dwell with his people. And so we see a picture of that at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, but then there's a big disruption because the human race turns away from God, Adam and Eve sinned, and every, every, we're all living in the result of that, and, and we can all contribute toward that fallenness of the world, but God has come to reconcile us to himself through Jesus Christ, and so that we would belong to him, and uh, that he would, once he would uh, carry out his plan to fulfill the world with his glory. Uh, so, you know, if you can see that story throughout the scripture from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation, which gives us a picture of the dwelling place of God with his people and heaven and earth, God's dwelling place and our dwelling place coming together forever. So, I, you know, when we see the big picture of God's will and we see how amazing God's plan is for us and for the world as a whole, uh, that's, I think, what Paul's talking about being filled with the knowledge of God's will, and that helps put our lives in perspective, right? Why are we here? What are we doing on earth? Well, we're here to be reconciled to God, to find our identity in him, to grow in his purpose for us, to become like Christ, his son. Uh, and we grow in that knowledge by being engaged with God's word. So let me give you a very practical challenge from this first prayer request of Paul. What are you doing to get to know the Bible better? Now, some Christians never read the Bible. And the result is, Christians who never read the Bible tend to grow very slowly, or maybe not very much at all. Now, some people might say, well, though, you know, for most of history, most of Christians couldn't actually read the Bible. It's sort of unusual that we all have our own Bibles in, you know, printed, but guess what those early Christians did do? The book of Acts says the early Christians met together every day and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they would get together and somebody who could read would read the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, to the rest of the congregation and people would listen and people would talk about it and people would memorize. I mean, we have records of early Christians who memorized long passages of the Bible, whole chapters, whole books, uh, uh, people who knew them by heart because they listened and because they were devoted to growing in the teaching of the scriptures. My dad grew up in rural Maine, and there was a man in his church who uh, was mentally handicapped, and he uh, didn't read. Uh, reading a whole book would have just, uh, it was more than he could process. But he uh, was a believer in Jesus, and I can't quite explain how, but he read the Bible, and he could understand the Bible. I think the Holy Spirit helped him to be able to grasp and understand the Bible, even though he wasn't uh, sort of intellectually as, he, he, he had some intellectual difficulties. Um, so the point of this is, if you want to grow in your knowledge of God, God will make a way for you too, whether it's by opening up the Bible and reading it, or, I mean, these days, you can have your phone read the Bible to you, right? You, you can go on Bible Gateway, it's a good app, and there's free audio Bibles in all different translations. Uh, you can join a Bible study. 
Um, we're starting one next week if you're interested, if you're not already part of one. So if you want a fuller knowledge of God's will, look to the scriptures and God will make a way for you to grow um, one way or another. So that's the first thing Paul says we should pray for is a fuller knowledge of God. Second thing Paul says we should pray for is a worthy walk so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When Paul wants us to increase in knowledge, it's not just so we can be proud and puffed up about how much we know, but it's so we can grow in living a godly life, in living uh, a way that, in a way that pleases God. Now, when it says we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it doesn't mean we're trying to prove ourselves worthy of God. No, it just means that we should walk in a way that displays how worthy God is. Worthy of the Lord. That means the Lord is worthy, he is wonderful, and we want to walk in a manner that honors him for who he is. And so other people can look at us and say, huh, I don't know if I believe in your God and your Jesus, but your life is, your life is different in, in some noticeable and positive ways. I can, I can see that. That's what Paul wants. He wants Christians to live in a different way that other people can look at and be like, well, all right, I, th there's something genuine going on there. Um, you know, think, think about, you know, taking the analogy of a child, uh, not, just a, not just an infant who can't move around yet, but think about a baby when they're learning to walk. How do they start? Well, they start by scooting around, and then they start by pulling themselves up, and then eventually, and then crawling, uh, and then finally walking. And that's a little picture, and, and, and right, as a parent, it's delightful to see your child or grandchild or even somebody else's child, right? Take those little steps, right? And let me encourage you, God takes pleasure even in seeing our baby steps of learning to follow him. Um, you know, when, when you begin to walk by faith and trust God and not not let fears control us. When you begin to pray, even though the words maybe aren't eloquent, even when you fall down and call out to Jesus for mercy and grace and get back up again and keep going, God delights in us when we do all those things. When we're learning to walk, spiritually speaking, with him. Uh, Psalm 147 says, God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. In other words, it's not how strong you are or how fast you are that is pleasing, most pleasing to God. Uh, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. So God wants us to grow in our walk, right? In our walk with him. Um, just as a parent delights in a baby learning to walk. But you know, the reverse is also true, right? Just as a parent delights in seeing their child learn to walk, a, a loving parent w becomes increasingly concerned if their child grows older, older and older and shows no progress, right? So if your child gets to one and then two and then three and they're still just lying on the floor and never moving around, you'd be very concerned as a parent. Right? Think something's wrong. Something's not maturing and growing as it should. Because a three-year-old shouldn't 
be, shouldn't be in exactly the same place as a one-year-old. And similarly, God's desire and Paul's prayer is that we grow spiritually, that we don't get complacent, that we don't get stuck in one phase, but that we continue growing in our walk with the Lord. Notice verse 10 is full of these words that emphasize movement, walking, bearing fruit, increasing. Uh, there's sort of a virtuous spiral. A fuller knowledge of God leads to growth in godliness, and growth in godliness leads to increasing knowledge of God. That's the kind of movement that God wants for us to be growing in our knowledge of him and in our walk with him. So let me challenge us, especially if you've been a Christian for many years. Are you still spiritually active, learning and growing? You know, is your life in Christ characterized by movement? Walking, stretching, exercising, bare fruit, increasing. Are you actively seeking to grow in godliness? Are you actively fighting against sin in your own heart? Are you actively seeking to share your faith in one way or another with others? Those things don't happen automatically. You know, Christian, there's no such thing as an autopilot setting for Christians. There's no such thing as the spiritual equivalent of a self-driving car. Right? Nobody drifts aimlessly into living a godly life. No, it takes intentionality. And so, Paul wants us to be earnest and intentional in seeking to grow in our walk with Christ and um, seeking to live a life that points to the worthiness of God more and more. So we've seen a fuller knowledge, a worthy walk. Third, verse 11, third thing Paul prays for is persevering power. Now in most English translations, verse 11 begins a new sentence, but in the Greek, verses 9 to 14 is one long sentence. It's one prayer of Paul, and all these ideas are part of this prayer. It's all connected. Um, and verse 11 is about persevering power, or empowered endurance. I forget which way. <laughs> Let's call it persevering power. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now, on the one hand, praying for persevering power can be a humbling prayer to pray, because the only reason it makes sense to pray that prayer is if we acknowledge that we don't have all the power within us, that we need God's help and his empowerment. Uh, and you know, sometimes, if we're honest, we don't always feel our need for God on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, especially if you are healthy, if you are uh, physically strong, if you have, if your life is going well, and we can, you know, if, our, if the life, world around us seems to be going well, we take a lot of things for granted. Running water, electricity, climate control, uh, Wi-Fi, well-stocked supermarkets. There's all kinds of things that we can very easily take for granted, uh, and we can sort of think, yeah, we have a quite a bit of power within ourselves. And we can give ourselves the credit for being decently well-adjusted people. But in fact, nearly everything that sustains us, the sun, the rain, the air, our minds, our bodies, is not of our own making. And Colossians reminds us that Jesus is the one who holds everything together. Not ourselves. The crops don't grow if there's no rain. 
And eventually, if there's no rain, the, res the reservoirs will all dry up, right? So, and if there's too much rain and it floods, well, then you're going to lose the crops too. Uh, there's all kinds of things that can interfere with life going smoothly. And so, Colossians reminds us it's the power of God that upholds and sustains the universe, and it's also the power of God that upholds and sustains his church. So, we should pray for persevering power because we need God to hold the world together and hold our lives together. So it's a humbling prayer to recognize we don't have all the power within ourselves. We depend on God's provision and God's mercy. But it's also a very encouraging prayer, asking for God to empower us and strengthen us for endurance and patience. Uh, you know, when, when you, it, this, see, see, there's a gift in our weakness. When we feel our own weakness, whether it's physical weakness or whether it's emotional weariness or whether it's financially being in a tight place where we feel like I'm coming to the end of my rope, you know, the gift in that is it reminds us of what's always true about ourselves, that we need the Lord. We need him to sustain us and carry us through. And it can sometimes lead us to pray, Lord, help me. I need your strength to get through this day. Right? To pray that prayer every day. Um, but you know, it's encouraging because Paul says in Ephesians 1, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in all of us who believe in him. And so, no matter what the storm is that we're facing, no matter what the challenge is within ourselves or outside ourselves, God's power is greater. And God's power helps us, uh, equips us to endure. So N.T. Wright wrote in his commentary, endurance, verse 11 talks about endurance and patience. He said, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation, and patience is what they show to an apparently impossible person. So let me ask you, are you walking with someone who's facing an apparently impossible situation? Pray this prayer for them. Pray verse 11, that God would strengthen them with all power according to his glorious might for endurance. Through apparently impossible situations, Isaiah 40 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, there are days when we might soar with the eagles, and there are days when we might run the race with endurance, and there are days when we might just be praying for the strength to put one foot in front of the other. Walk and not faint. But every day we can pray, Lord, strengthen us as we face apparently impossible situations. And also, every day God's power is sufficient to give us patience when we're dealing with apparently impossible people. Have you ever had somebody in your life, I won't ask you to raise your hand, who seems like an apparently impossible person to deal with? At work? 
at home, in your neighborhood, around you. Remember, in every case, God is dealing with that same person too. Because God is keeping them alive every day, no matter how impossible they are. And they have tried his patience far more than they have tried yours. The Lord knows what it feels like to have our patience tried. Because he sees far more than we do. We only see limited amounts. You know, sometimes we want to experience God's power, but we don't want to express God's patience. Sometimes we pray for patience, but then we don't like it because God sends us a situation when we have to exercise it. Somebody said it's a dangerous prayer, the prayer for patience. But you know, it's more dangerous if you don't pray for patience because the effects of being impatient and irritable and doing all kinds of things can be far worse than the challenge of being being patient. But here, Paul's prayer that we be strengthened with all power for endurance and patience with joy. So so fuller knowledge of God, verse 9, worthy walk before the Lord, verse 10, Persevering power, verse 11. Finally, joyful gratitude with joy, giving thanks to the Father. You know, if we come back to the parent-child analogy, right? Think about the joy that a parent experiences if their child comes and says, I love you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Right? That's how God wants us to approach Him. God wants us to approach Him with joyful gratitude, for the work that he's done in us and how he's helped us, not only brought us, made us alive in Christ, but how he's helped us to grow in Christ. And the work that God's done on our behalf far surpasses the work of any human parent. And in verses 12 to 14, Paul ends his prayer by reminding us of how deep the Father's love is for us. Look at what Paul reminds us that God has done for us. He has qualified us. Verse 12, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus. And in him we have redemption. That means we belong to him. We're bought with a price and the forgiveness of our sins. You know, many of those words in verses 12 to 14 are words that were used in the Old Testament to talk about God's love for his people Israel. In fact, that's one of the main themes of the Old Testament it's a story of God's love for his people Israel, right? How it's, it's very close to the beginning of that story. The people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. They're under an oppressive master, under Pharaoh, and God delivers them. Delivers them. He redeems them. That means he takes on their burdens and problems as his own. He unites himself to them. And, and then they're... They, They're free from Egypt, but then they're homeless in the desert. And then the next part of the story is you see God walking with the people through the desert and leading them into the promised land, giving them an inheritance. And and so Paul uses these words that would have reminded people of God's love for Israel and God's promises to Israel, and he says, but look, in Jesus Christ, you have all those things. You see, Paul's writing not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles who had come to faith in Jesus. And it would have been so encouraging for these Gentiles who had felt like they were on the outside for so long 
And Paul's saying, through Jesus, you have these amazing promises. Through Jesus, you have the love of God as your father. You're not a second-class citizen. You belong in God's family. God has delivered you. He has qualified you. He's given you an inheritance in heaven that surpasses even the most generous earthly inheritance that a parent could bestow. And no one else can take away what God has given. We have a place to belong and a family to be part of forever. And we've been forgiven of our sins. You see, God wants us as his children to grow up, to grow in our knowledge of him, uh, to recognize the amazing blessings that he has poured out upon us and turn toward him and run into his arms and say, thank you, Father. I love you, Lord. You are so, so good. You know, if you're not a Christian, this is what Christianity is all about. The grace of God in Jesus Christ and God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. So will you simply turn to Jesus and receive what he has done for you? Admit that you need him. Take him as your Savior and Lord and begin this process of growing up in him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you and we praise you because you are good and generous. We thank you that your desire is that we continue growing in our faith and hope and love in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us, help us individually, help us as a church to be growing in all these ways, to be growing in our knowledge of you as we study your word, to be growing in our walk, in living a life that shows how worthy you are. Lord, give us endurance. Give us power to endure, power to be patient in hard situations. Many of us need that particularly today. And Lord, give us joyful gratitude for all that you've done for us and for the love that you have lavished upon us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.